Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. My name is Ali Stuckey. This is a podcast where we approach culture, news, politics from a Christian conservative perspective. Sometimes the podcast is more theologically leaning. Sometimes we don't talk theology at all. Sometimes it's just about politics and the news, but we try to find the intersection between all of those things and kind of analyze where our culture is. Uh, Today, we are going to talk about this crazy practice that we're seeing in 2018, it seems like every week, of ruining someone's life uh, by looking through their past problematic tweets as soon as they actually achieve something. So we're going to look at a couple examples of that and why this is a problem. And I'm going to answer some of the questions that you guys sent me via Instagram. Before we get into that, I'm going to tell you about the pillow that I sleep on. And you might be thinking, Ali, why do I care what pillow you sleep on? Because you want to sleep on the same kind of pillow that I sleep on because the pillow that I sleep on is awesome. Um, It's from bolstersleep.com. And the reason why I love it so much is because I'm kind of nowadays like a pillow snob. I used to have like 16 pillows that I would sleep on, all feather pillows for some reason, which is kind of stupid, uh, to try to get comfortable. And I kept on having a crick in my neck, even though I have a really comfortable mattress. And so Bolster Sleep uh, sent me this pillow and it's amazing because it keeps its form all night. It's made out of this material called tinsel and I have no idea what that is. What I do know is that it works because it keeps the pillow cool all night and you don't have to flip it over or anything like that. It's so comfortable that my husband kept on stealing it from me and I was getting so mad that he got his bolster sleep pillow too and now we both love our bolster sleep pillows. Whenever I'm traveling, I'm really sad because I have to sleep on stupid feather pillows again. I love my bolster sleep pillow. It really helps me sleep well. So you should probably buy one. Um, it's a really good Christmas present for yourself, for your spouse, for your friends, for your parents because everyone could use a good night's sleep. So you can go to bolstersleep.com, promo code Allie, that's A-L-L, i.e. bolstersleep.com. You get 10% off of your pillow, which is a really good deal. Bolstersleep.com, promo code Allie. Okay, now we're going to get into all of this madness. So Kyler Murray was the winner of the Heisman Trophy this year. I don't know anything about sports, so I'm not going to go into his uh, football history. Sorry to disappoint you. I know that uh, I live in Texas and people just assume that people in Texas love football. I wish that I did. I like going to football games um, just because I like the spirit of it. But for all of the years that I've been going to football games, I even lived in Athens, Georgia. I have no idea what's going on in the field. I'm just going to go ahead and fit that uh, blonde girl stereotype right now and tell you I have no idea what the heck is going on in a football game. It doesn't matter how many people try to tell me what's going on, uh, what a down is. I I really don't know. I was even a cheerleader. I have a brother-in-law that played for UGA. They could all explain it to me. I still wouldn't know. It's just one of those things that goes in one ear and out the other. But that really has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I was just explaining why I'm not going to talk about what Kyler Murray has actually done in football or why he deserves the trophy because, quite honestly, I have no idea. I didn't even know this whole Heisman thing was going on right now. Quite frankly, I think it's a little weird that it happens like before the bowl games. But anyway, those of you who know about football probably have the answer to that. The only reason I know who Kyler Murray is is because I heard that someone dug up his old tweets, old tweets from when he was 14 years old, 14 years old, and they were apparently homophobic. And uh, there was a USA Today article about this saying how these homophobic tweets from when Kyler Murray uh, was 14 are problematic and they show that he is just this homophobic bigot. 
And the response to this, honestly, it just did my heart good. It just, it made me proud, honestly. Of course, there were people on Twitter who were mad about it, who said, oh, this is so bad. This is an assault against uh, the gay community. Uh, but most of the people, like, you should have seen the ratio to this USA Today tweet. I think it was like, it, last time I checked, like 6,000 replies to maybe like a couple hundred retweets or something like that. That's called a ratio. That's how you know that someone had a really hot take or a really bad take. In this case, I think it was a really bad take that USA Today actually paid a journalist to write a story about a tweet, a supposedly homophobic tweet that someone sent when they were 14 years old. And they didn't release this story. The person who, dig, who dug up the tweets uh, didn't actually release the tweets until this person won the high trophy. So all of their replies were saying, you know, you guys USA Today are a joke. This is uh, such a stupid practice, which I wholeheartedly agree with. And by the way, I am not condoning homophobia, if you want to call it that, or any kind of derogatory statements towards a gay community or any kind of community. I think making fun of people uh, for those kind of characteristics or saying something that demeans a group of people, um, is, is not good. It, it shouldn't be condoned. We shouldn't be uplifting those tweets as awesome or funny or anything like that. But we have all said really stupid things. I will quote Jesus in saying, you who have not sinned, be the first to cast the first stone. Except I will uh, rephrase that. You who have not said something stupid can be the first to cast the first stone. But we've all said something stupid. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't mean that we can't criticize something that he said or we can't criticize anyone. Uh, of course we can. We can distinguish between right and wrong. We can use discernment. We, we can use judgment to say, wow, that thing that that person said was stupid or mean or wrong. And that's perfectly fine. And we can take stock of the things that we say and make those same judgments on ourselves. That's okay. But to try to ruin someone's life or to say that this person doesn't deserve a Heisman Trophy because of what they said when they were 14 is absolutely insane. And quite frankly, I think it's immoral. Because if you really cared, if whoever dug up these tweets, if USA Today really cared, about homophobia, if they really cared about bigotry, if they really cared about battling against uh, these negative stereotypes of these so-called marginalized communities, uh, then they would have said something when the tweets actually surfaced. There is no doubt that whoever found these tweets uh, knew that they existed before Kyler Murray actually won the Heisman Trophy, and yet, and yet they hung on to them. Why? Why? I really want to know why. Is it because you're going to get the most clicks on the story when you know that this person's name is uh, making a bunch of headlines and so uh, your tweets, your tattletailing is also going to get a bunch of clicks and, and make a bunch of waves? It, like, is that what it's about? Or is it this kind of jealousy? Maybe it's a little bit of both. Just this, this jealousy that comes from these absolutely purposeless trolls that want to take down other people that actually accomplish something because they know that they're never going to amount to anything. Like the most famous that this guy is going to get, the guy who actually dug up these tweets, I don't know who it was, um, the most famous that he's going to get is this. Uh, he's going to be most famous for digging up tweets from when Kyler Murray was 14. So this was his like crowning achievement. This was his biggest accomplishment, which is why probably in his uh, insecurity and in his smallness as a person, he decided that he was going to rat out someone who said something that wasn't very smart when they were 14 years old. Um, I think God, I think God. On a daily basis, literally, literally I do. I say a prayer to the Lord on high, thanking him that I did not have Twitter when I was 14 years old, that Twitter 
I, I, well, it may have existed actually when I was 14. I didn't have Twitter. We didn't have Snapchat yet. We didn't have Instagram. I, th- I had a MySpace. And if we ever dig up MySpace, it's probably going to be really embarrassing. Like the things that I said when I was 12 years old, who the heck knows what I said when I was 12 years old. Um, but I'm really glad that I didn't have these kind of instantaneous social media things when I was, when I was 14 years old. I did have Facebook. Again, Who knows what the heck I said? I probably commented some really stupid stuff on people's walls when I was 14. Do you know why? Do you know why people say really stupid stuff when they're 14 that they wouldn't say when they're 18, 19, 20 plus? Because your brain isn't developed. Because you're not thinking. You don't think about consequences. That's actually part of why insurance is so high for young drivers when they're 16, 17, 18, 19. It's not just because they're inexperienced. It's because we literally do not have our frontal lobe fully developed. So we cannot think long term. We can't think of consequences that we can't think in if then statements that if I say this now, then it's going to live on the internet forever. And one day when I accomplish something or become something, someone is going to ruin me. You are not thinking that when you're 14. Now, that doesn't mean that 14-year-olds at the moment cannot be held responsible for any of their actions. Uh, of, of course they can. There is some kind of mental capacity there. You have some kind of capacity for judgment, even moral judgment when you're young. You're not an absolute child. But for us to retroactively condemn someone for the stupidity that they exhibited when they were 14 years old is absolutely ridiculous. Not a single one of us, not a single one of us wants to go back and watch film from when we were 14. Do you? Do you really want to do that? Do you really want to listen to everything that you said when you were 14? Would you want that playing for the rest of the world? Would you proudly stand by and be like, I said that. I said that one mean thing about that girl. I sent that one rude text about that guy. I asked that guy if he liked my friend. Do you really want to go through all of those stupid conversations? No, of course you don't because we were stupid. And so why are we like this? I I want to know, why are we like this as a society? When someone accomplishes something, when they work hard for something, they achieve it, they get uh, to a certain status, to a certain position, we try to tear them down. Is it is it just because... Like I said, it's it's coming from a place of insecurity. It's coming from a place of jealousy and smallness. We can't just allow someone to be. And it's also, of course, this uh, oversensitivity and this absolute allegiance that we have to political correctness that the worst thing that someone can do is offend another group. You know, maybe he said something that was rude towards uh, the gay community. Okay, maybe that's what he really thinks. I'm not even defending that. But people should be allowed to have the opinions that they want to have, whether that's today or 10 years ago. And they shouldn't have to apologize for them if they are not sorry. The best thing that you can do for yourself, I learned this really this year is the first time I learned this. The best thing that you can do for yourself if you are going to be uh, in the public sphere, if you are going to uh, participate in the forum of political and cultural discussion, if you're going to be on social media, if you're going to be a commentator, if you're going to be a journalist, if you're going to have a podcast, if you're going to make your opinions public, the best thing that you can do for yourself is to not apologize when you are not sorry. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't apologize when you're in the wrong. I've said stupid stuff that I shouldn't have said. And then I go back and I apologize for it. Or I said something unknowingly uh, that was wrong. And I can go back into it and apologize for that. I've definitely been in the wrong. And I think it takes character and humility uh, to admit when you're wrong. But when you are not wrong, 
do not apologize. I learned this with the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez video that I did in July, where we spliced together an interview. It was obviously supposed to be a joke. It was a joke. It was hilarious. I love that video still. It took a lot of time and effort and planning to go into that video, and it was one of the most popular videos I've ever done because it was freaking funny. And I had all of these people, I had journalists emailing me all of these blue check marks on Twitter, all these people saying, well, aren't you going to apologize for purposely misleading people, for deceiving people, for splicing together an interview to try to make her look stupid? First of all, no one has to try to do that. She does that completely independently. So I put no effort into that part at all. And secondly, no, it was a joke. It was a joke. And if people didn't get that joke, that's just kind of the nature of jokes. A lot of people don't get jokes. As Stephen Colbert did this, Jay Leno did this. A lot of people have done the splicing of the interview. I didn't come up with it. I don't remember. Maybe I wasn't around, but I don't remember the backlash to Stephen Colbert doing this uh, to President Trump or to people before that or Jay Leno doing this to uh, Michael Jackson and George W. Bush because... I don't know. There's a double standard, I guess, for conservatives doing this and for, for liberals doing this. When conservatives do something like that, of course, it's evil and mean. When liberals do something, um, it's because it's hilarious and it's all in good fun. So I realized that. And guess what? I did not apologize. Not a single bit. I didn't say I'm never doing this again. I'm not, I didn't say I apologize to those of you who don't get it. I apologize for it seeming like um, this is coming across the wrong way. No, you do not give the liberal mob an inch. Not a single centimeter do you give them when you are not wrong. I said, no, this is funny. I'm proud of this video and I will probably do another one like it. And we did. And I'm very glad for that. And there is a lot of power in not apologizing when you are not wrong. Do not give the liberal mob anything because they're not satisfied with your apology. What we see, and this doesn't necessarily only happen on the left, but we seem to see it majoritively on the left, um, is that they are not satisfied with your apology. They are not satisfied for you even taking back what you did or said that they find so egregious. Uh, they want to ruin your life. They want to take your job away. They want to make sure that you don't have a public platform. They want to make sure that your reputation, your name is completely tarnished. Like, personally, I'm just waiting for the day that this happens to me. Of course, I've gotten pushed back on the things that I've done. But one day, whenever I get my major break and I go do something crazy, super high profile, um, I'm sure that there will be something that I don't even know that I said from college, from high school, that they will say, you said this on Thursday April 18th on 2010, what do you have to say for yourself? And maybe they will be successful in ruining my career and ruining my life. I don't really know. I'm sure that I've said stupid things that I wouldn't say today. I actually know for a fact that I have. So I'm just waiting for the day that that happens to me. And it's very sad. It's extremely sad that this is, and this is an article title, by the way, I didn't come up with what I'm about to say, but it's very sad, the high price that you have to pay for public participation. Um, the price that you have to pay for public participation is very often uh, your your name. And even sometimes it's your entire life. It's your entire life livelihood. If you have an opinion that ventures outside of what is acceptable in the mainstream, really your days are numbered. We've seen this a lot on social media, get people getting deplatformed for unpopular ideas, and they happen to be conservative ideas most of the time. Um, we didn't just see this happening with Kyler Murray. We also saw this happening with Kevin Hart. Uh, Kevin Hart, apparently, uh, I think it was back in like 2012 or something, he said 
something about his uh, his kid not wanting his kid to be gay and like breaking the dollhouse that his son would have been playing with over his head. Of course, Kevin Hart is a comedian. This is a joke. Uh, but Kevin Hart was going to, what award show was it that Kevin Hart was going to host? No. Oh, Oscars. So Kevin Hart was going to host the Oscars. I couldn't remember what award show it was because I don't watch award shows. Kevin Hart was going to host the Oscar Oscars, but after someone found these tweets from 2012 where he made a joke about not wanting his son to be gay, um, he got a ton of pushback. He got a ton of backlash. The Oscars made him apologize. He didn't want to apologize, but then he finally did apologize for offending the LGBT community. And then he said that he's actually stepping down from hosting the Oscars. So yet again, we see an example of someone who um, achieved something that I'm sure he's been working towards or wanted for a long time. And then someone takes the time to dig up past tweets and say, you know, this person doesn't deserve that. Again, if you actually cared about homophobia like you say that you do, why didn't you raise concerns about this earlier? People don't like to see other people achieve or accomplish anything. They just don't. That's the world that we live in. And they want to scare people who have ideas or who have told jokes or who have said things that they don't like. They want to scare those people away from public participation. They want to scare them away from trying to achieve anything so that the only people in the public sphere, the only people that are safe are going to be the far left people that are so conditioned by political correctness uh, that they don't say anything offensive to anyone whatsoever, except, of course, to conservative Christians and people who don't believe in political correctness, but we don't matter. Um, that is their game. They want to intimidate us out of speaking so that they can control the conversation, they can control the political and the cultural and the social sphere. Well, that's just not going to work because if they're the only people left on Twitter, uh, people like me are going to find different places to be able to speak up. They can kick us, I pray to God this doesn't happen to me, but they can kick us off iTunes, they can kick us off Patreon, uh, they can kick us off Spotify, Twitter, whatever it is. Uh, but that's the beautiful place about the marketplace is that compet competition is going to rise up and going to give people like me a platform. But of course, that's part of the whole socialist agenda to drown out competition. So the, the socialist far left agenda is to not only control the market, there virtually will be no market. And so there won't be any competition, uh, but also in that way, be able to control the narrative and to control the conversation. Because right now, yes, conservatives are being deplatformed, but we can trust that eventually the market is going to step in and create a new space for us because there's demand for it. So where there is demand, there's going to be some kind of support. Supply. Uh, but socialists, of course, don't believe in the rules of supply and demand. They actually believe in controlling the means of production. So they're not only going to be able to control the market, but they're going to control the conversation and in that way control every sphere of human life. Now, I don't think that that's going to to go over very well. There are too many people like me who are just too obnoxious and annoying to let that happen. Even if you look at Paris right now, the way that they're protesting over the taxes that Macron tried to enact in order to fight climate change, something I say with air quotes because it's so ambiguous what any of that really means, uh, People don't actually like giving their whole lives over to the government, especially when they don't get a ton out of it. Uh, so I just don't see that going over very well in the United States, which is exactly why something like democratic socialism isn't going to work, because if it's truly democratic, none of us are really going to pick it because we're not going to like the consequences of it. 
Um, now, I know I kind of got on a rabbit trail, but what I'm trying to say is that this censorship, this tearing people down that have opinions that fall outside of the political, uh, politically correct sphere, that fall outside of progressivism, is just a way of uh, silencing silencing any opposition and trying to take over the conversation completely. And again, I am not supporting bigotry. I'm not a fan of uh, saying rude things about gay people. I'm not a fan of saying offensive things. I'm not a fan of offending people on purpose, but I am a fan of the freedom to say those things without fearing so much that, um, that the mob with pitchforks is going to come after you. I mean, it's just crazy how much things have changed even in the past 10 years that those tweets have been around for 10 years and no one said anything. But it should say something about who we are as a society that we're not only so vengeful, um, but we are also so sensitive to everything someone says, things that we weren't sensitive about 10 years ago. And we should just really stop and ask ourselves if that's a good thing if that's really progress, if that's really going to uh, move us forward as a nation. I, I certainly don't think so. I think it's going to segregate us even further. But of course, that's what the regressive, uh, progressive left does. They say that they're moving forward, but really we're, we're just moving backwards into our little tribes and into our little camps where we resent the other side so much because we don't think that the other side sees reality at all. Um, I certainly feel that way sometimes. I certainly look at the left and I look at their tactics and the things that they believe and the things that they cry about. And I'm like, we are just, we don't see the world the same at all. I feel like we're not even living on the same planet. Um, and that makes me sad, but, but that's the world that liberals have created. And of course, Trump in some ways has exacerbated that. Um, and I, I don't know what to do about it, except for what I always tell you guys, speak in truth and love your neighbor. And also don't be that person that digs up old tweets. There are people on the right and the left that do this. I understand people on the right that do it because they're trying to show the hypocrisy of the people on the left who talk about love, tolerance, all of this stuff. And then, you know, really five years ago, they were just as bigoted as the people that they're pointing fingers at. Now, I understand that. I still think it sets a bad precedent. Uh, Nick Cannon actually did something that I thought was funny, um, funny in a, in a way. I mean, he's just pointing out the hypocrisy. So he pointed out uh, some homophobic tweets from Chelsea Handler, from Sarah Silverman, and from Amy Schumer from a few years ago. And he was actually making the point that this is, I think, uh, a tactic to take down black men, but white women don't get the same treatment. Maybe, kind of. I do think women are kind of on a pedestal. They're kind of immune to criticism right now, at least women on the left who are so-called feminists. So I do think that's part of it. I disagree with Nick Cannon that this is anything about race whatsoever. Uh, this is just about being politically correct, but he made a good point. All of these women have made these uh, homophobic, politically incorrect comments, and they haven't received any backlash whatsoever. Why? Because they're I guess because they're open liberals. I, I don't know. I, I don't really understand. Women, like I said, are kind of in this safe zone right now. But there's a ton of hypocrisy coming on the left on this. They have said just as stupid, just as so-called bigoted things as people on the right have. Uh, they just think that they're, you know what, don't stink. It. It's really, it's an interesting time to be alive, but it's all the more reason to just be unapologetic because they're going to tear you down anyway. Don't censor yourself because nothing that you say that is outside of the realm of far progressivism is safe. So you might as well just fully 
uh, embrace the conservatism and the biblical values that you believe and speak about them because everything right of Bernie Sanders nowadays is scandalous. So you might as well just own your views and, and be bold about them. Okay, now I am going to answer a few of your questions. This was an interesting question that I got, kind of a personal question for this person. A uh, question for your podcast. What should I do with a family member who has blocked me on social media because I canceled plans? We've had about four disagreements this year and I've been the one to break the silence and apologize. Uh, these plans have all been minor and I've canceled or tried to rearrange them because of major events. Okay. So this person blocks a family member on social media because they had disagreements. I don't know if these are political disagreements or what they are. Uh, so the Bible says as far as it is concerned with you or as much as you can take on the responsibility, make peace with everyone. Of course, you're supposed to forgive someone um, countless amount of times. We're supposed to continue to give grace, give grace. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. That's what he tells us to do for other people, even though it's so counterintuitive countercultural. So you still have to, if you are a Christian, extend grace to this person and extend forgiveness and try to reconcile with them. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to text them every single day. I do think that there's a point that you just say, look, here's exactly how I feel. I'm taking ownership of what I said and did wrong. I'm willing to put, put down these disagreements if you are. You can only make that step of reconciliation before, um, really before just waiting for their response. So that's all you can do. Um, and you just have to hope that that happens. Sure, you can try to re-up that offer every so often. But after you have made that offer, it's not up to you every single day to nag this person into being your friend. You've done what you can do. Um, now you just have to be kind to them, give grace to them, wait for them to respond. And that's really your only responsibility in all of this. And to whenever you guys do reconcile, to not bring up the past and to not blame them for the time that you spent apart, but to show the same grace that Christ showed us as hard as that is. And I am preaching to the choir because that's really difficult for me. Um, okay. How do you balance this person says, who does what chores in the house between you and your husband? Who does most of the cooking? Uh, good question. So my husband and I, ever since we got married, we, I don't really know how we came up with this, but we do front of the house, back of the house. I get the back of the house, which includes doing our room, which is usually the most work because I try to keep the front of the house clean at all times because that's what people see. And then I just throw all of our crap into our room. So our room a lot of times, like right now, because we just got back from a trip, looks like an absolute disaster. So for me to just have our room and to him have the front of the house Honestly, it's not completely fair because I still end up doing a lot of the work. Now, that also includes laundry and he does sometimes help with the laundry. What the reason why we split it up like that is because I hate, I hate doing the dishes. I won't do them. I won't do the dishes. I will, if he doesn't have time to do the dishes for like five days, that's fine. I'm just going to keep on piling up the dishes and I will eat with my hands on my legs if I have to. I hate doing the dishes. It grosses me out. Having to touch soggy food, even if I'm wearing gloves, it freaks me out. So I will pile the dishes for days and days and days. I can keep going on this and then he has to clean them. Um... But like I said, I try to keep, I'm, I'm home all day. I work at home, so I try to keep the house relatively tidy. I'm not a naturally organized person, but I don't like to look at grossness. 
So I could get a lot better at this. We're probably both just not very clean, not very organized people. Uh, but yeah, I just, I really make him do the dishes. That's extremely important to me. Um, who does most of the cooking? I do because he doesn't get home until pretty late at work. But I think that he's a better cook than me personally, especially at breakfast. He's really good at making breakfast. Um, he's, he's actually just like a really good cook. I'm a decent cook. But I'm kind of a lazy cook, too. So I only make like super simple things. Um, OK. Um, OK, this is a hard question to answer, but I'll try to answer it as best I can. Uh, hey, Allie, I would like to ask you how to be less uh, antisocial or socially awkward. I'm a high school student who struggles with this. I would like to know your feedback. So I totally understand. I've definitely been in plenty of situations where I feel socially awkward and you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do with your hands. You just are really self-conscious and you're constantly thinking about the things that you're saying, how you look, what other people are thinking about you and how you look. And that's a really hard position to be in. And I'm going to give you kind of this uh, nebulous answer, but I do think it starts from a very deep place and less from like a practical outward place, I do think it's important that you know what you can be confident in. Of course, from a spiritual perspective, from a Christian perspective, I think it's knowing who you are in Christ, that you have just as much value as anyone else that has ever been created, that that person who might be more popular than you or more articulate than you is no more valuable, has no more potential in life than you do, is no more loved than you are by God. And that really does change your perspective on everything, that you are just as valuable as anyone else and he loves you and created you for a special purpose no less special than anyone else who you might think is better than you. So that confidence comes from a deep place. And it's also something that has to be conditioned and reminded to yourself on a daily basis uh, by reading the Bible and praying and reminding yourself of the truth uh, that you were created as valuable and equal to anyone else. Also, I don't think it's wrong for you to remind yourself of the things that you're good at, of the talents that you've been given, um, of the things that you have going for you. Maybe you feel like that's not a whole lot, but maybe you're just not thinking about the things that you're good at. Maybe you're really smart. Maybe you were a good writer. Maybe you're good at drawing. Uh, maybe you just have a particular skill that a lot of people don't have. Uh, when I was in high school, I thought a lot about the fact that I'm just not the best at anything. I always wanted to be the best at something. Like I wasn't fast. I wasn't athletic. I made decent grades. I was really bad at math, really bad at science. Again, I'm fulfilling those like blonde female stereotypes. And I, I was always really good at writing and I was really good at anything to do with English and communication and things like that. But I still felt, okay, there's people that are smarter than me. So I struggled with that too. And it took me a while until after I got out of college until I realized doesn't matter what other people are good at. It matters what I'm good at and what I can do with the talent that I've been given. That I, I'm not necessarily better at, uh, or I'm not, I'm still not the best at anything, but I'm confident in the things that I'm good at and no one can really take that away from me. And I constantly have to remind myself too that the plans that God has for me are not dependent on the plans that he has for anyone else. So when I get caught up in this comparison trap and jealousy and insecurity, uh, I remember that God might have a great plan for someone else, but that 
doesn't mean that he doesn't have a great plan for me. So I don't need to diminish that person's strength in order to make my strength better. And I think that's very important for confidence too. As far as just interacting with people on a daily basis, really practical tips, uh, look them in the eye and don't fidget and smile. Uh, you might not know what to say all the time and that's perfectly fine. Uh, what I do when I feel awkward or when I don't know what to say is I ask questions. People really like to talk about themselves. I do. We all do. I'm um, asking questions about their family, about their life. Um, now you might be talking to a brat and they might not have anything to say back and that's perfectly fine. Uh, look them in the eye, smile, don't fidget and ask questions about their lives. People like people who are interested much more than they like people who are interesting. Uh, so just be that kind person. There is nothing that anyone has against kindness. Um, and that's really all you can do. I encourage you, if you are a high school student, that life gets so much better. It gets so much better. High school is going to be the the least of your concerns. Uh, one day, you're not going to look back at high school and say, wow, I wasn't cool. No one cares. You're not even going to look back at college and think that all of those years, while they are formative, they are so insignificant in comparison to the rest of your life. And people who peak in high school really end up sucking for the rest of their life. So be lucky, be glad that you did not peak in high school, that you are going to peak a long time from now. That's what I want for myself. And that's what I really want for everyone. So that's something that you should be confident in. Okay, I'm going to answer one more question. I think if I can find one, I'm looking through my phone. Okay, I think I actually answered all of them that I have on my phone. So I'm sorry if I didn't get to your question. Uh if you do have any more questions to ask me, you of course can direct message me on Instagram. That's where I get all of my questions. But you can also email me, Allie at the conservative millennial blog.com. I am so close, by the way, guys, to getting a thousand reviews on iTunes. I've asked you guys on Instagram and on this podcast to do that. Thank you so much. Your reviews sometimes make me cry. Like some of you are so thoughtful in the things that you say and the impact that my little podcast is having on your life. It really just gives me energy. It makes me so happy. And I'm just really grateful that all of you take time out of your week to listen to me. So if you haven't left me a five-star review yet, I would be so grateful if you did that. If you even are leaning towards giving me four stars or less, please don't. And just email me with your concerns. Um, it really just like hurts my heart, especially when people give me four stars and they say everything positive. It just leaves me wondering for the rest of the week what the heck it is that you didn't like. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind, please leave me a five-star review. I'm trying to get to a thousand by 2019. Okay, you guys are awesome. I'll see you next time.